<laughs> now if I can get to Hebrews here. All right, Hebrews 4, 8 through 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. People have tornado drills. Some people have fire drills. What would you call this? Endurance drill. Bladder drill. Uh, I've got to have fun with it. This is like a nightmare for me. Um, it's good attendance, though, actually. Pretty pleased with that. Pretty full. Good for you. Get a treat, I guess. Um, You've heard of sweetened condensed milk? I'm going to try to spare you of the sweetened part and the milk part, but we're going for condensed. We're going for condensed. Not easy for me. No comments. Don't even think it. All right. I joked out there before anybody else, you know, any of the elders beat me up over it and said, Anthony, you're on. Didn't even, didn't even let them have fun with it. This is our reading for the week, Joshua 9 through 18. And uh, the title does not come from Joshua per se, it comes from the Hebrew letter, which is speaking of the occasion which we find ourselves in in Joshua, chapters 9 through 18. It is not a secret anymore, the secret is out that as we are studying through the Old Testament, which all points to the New Testament, that this whole journey from God's prediction in the garden to defeat sin and Satan through the seed of a woman, His calling of Abraham, Abram as he was known then, and saying that He would bless His descendants, whom he did not even have one at the time in his old age. He'd bless them with land. He'd bless them and make them a great nation in number and make them great. He'd be their protector, their God. But he said, in fact, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now we've come to the point in Joshua where the land is inherited. And uh, Moses makes the statement as they're crossing over the Jordan, this day you have become the people of God. You're a great nation. They've got all the superstructure, or let's call it substructure, uh, that they needed to become a nation. They've been delivered. They've been given identity as being adopted children of God. They've been given ways to remember who they are. They've been given structure in the Decalogue and all of the commandments that hang upon it. That is the Ten Commandments. 
They have been given the discipline. The angel of the Lord will go with you and be present with you and bring you into the land. Don't mess with Him. He's not going to be patient and merciful. That's a forewarning. The discipline will be swift for those of you who wish to try to thwart my plan to save the people in Pickerington, Ohio in 2015. So don't mess it up. So there's discipline. There's endurance. I like how Moses said, God knows you're trudging through the wilderness. Have you ever used that word? Trudging. Just trudging along. I hope you don't answer that when somebody says, how are you doing? But sometimes we have trudging parts of our life. And they endured. They made preparation. This whole thing was a preparation for the promised land. And so through this, though, there are several things that are concurrent with all of it till they get to this point. It's all preparation for this. Crossing over the Jordan and entering into the promised land. Through the whole thing, God's presence is not only there, it's visible. God's visible presence is there. And the food they were eating off the ground, sounds terrible to eat off the ground, you know. But God is providing fresh, nutritious bread on the ground each day that they just simply need to go out and pick up and eat. He can strike a rock and bring water out. But His pillar of cloud by day and night is right there before them. They can see it. And so He's present all the way through and leads them all the way into this part where they inherit the promised land. And so you could say, in a sense, that that kind of wraps up one picture of New Testament salvation. Although all analogies break down if you carry them out too far, the parables of Jesus, you can carry those too far and make them mean things that they don't mean. Also, you could do that with this. There, there is a, a rudimentary sense in which this picture closes when they enter into the promised land. However, there was still a lot of work to be done. There were still enemies living among them. They still had to go and drive them out. In fact, years passed by and they haven't done it yet. And Joshua on his dying bed says, God will drive them out. Go do this. We've divvied up your lots where you're all living now and you're all, you, know, you all can be comfortable, but you have to drive out the rest of the inhabitants of the land. And so the analogy breaks down there if we try to carry it too far. All right. When they entered into that land of rest, however, that closed a picture off for us to see that God will bring us into the land which He promised. The main difference is what we're trying to do now, according to what the Hebrew writer pulls from this, is to inherit life, not a land. We figuratively call heaven our promised land. But Jesus never uses the term land. God doesn't call it a land for us. He calls it a life. A life that is never-ending. And that's where, again, it's very different from what we've seen before. So Canaan was to be the land of rest for God's people, where God's presence brought peace and joy with bountiful blessings. Yet, in the Hebrew letter in chapter 4, in the New Testament, the writer argues that there is another rest that God is pointing to. And here it is before us. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he, capital H, he, God, then He, God, would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. 
For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his seventh day, God rested. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. So there is another rest that God refers to after, after what? After Joshua came into the promised land, and it seemed that the people had that rest. It's in the Psalms, Psalm 95. The psalmist is actually, that whole psalm is part of our, uh, there are songs that we sing that incorporate the whole thing. But he is teaching worship. And then he says, Today, if you will hear his voice. The psalmist says, Today. Now, the Psalms are written after the time of Joshua, right? Then he quotes something God said where he said, I swore in my wrath that those who were disobedient would not enter my rest. So the psalmist reaches back and grabs that verse when God spoke about the disobedient Israelites and applies it to his day and age and says, Today, God says, listen carefully or you won't enter his rest. The Hebrew writer picks up on that. And he said, you know, God, after Joshua spoke of a land of rest, and I'm going to do the same thing in chapter 4. He says, I'm going to do the same thing. There remains yet a rest for the people of God that was not the land of Canaan. It wasn't Canaan. It's not in this world. Jesus said, as long as you're in this world, you'll have tribulation. How can this be our rest? John 15, 10. How can this be our rest? As long as you're in the world, you'll have tri tribulation. Paul said, yes, and th all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Does that sound like rest to you? Rest for your souls? See, the rest is not here. I have said before, and I'll say it again, maybe you could say this is a hobby I ride. I just think it's that important. I believe we try too hard to make earth our heaven. I think that is what trips us up so often. We seek comfort. We seek a pain-free life. And we'll do it by seeking pleasure. Now, God has promised to bless us and give us great gifts from heaven. In fact, all things are intended to be gifts for us, but He never promised we wouldn't suffer here. And that's because this is not our resting place. This is not it. That is the mindset of an unbeliever. That is the mindset of atheism that says this is all there is. Let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Heaven forbid Christians live by that philosophy. This is not our place of rest. We shouldn't live like it. The rest is in heaven and is yet to come. Now how shall we enter it? A couple weeks ago I said you don't just slop into heaven. You know, we used to play pool down in my dad's office. We had a nice pool table. And uh, especially when we got down to like the eight ball, you couldn't slop it in. You had to call it. You have to call what pocket you're going to put it in to try and win the game, right? And so if, if you missed and it bounced off and, and went into another pocket, we'd say, slop, I won, you know. And, uh, or any shot during the game. We'd say, are we playing by slop or not? Yeah, let's play slop. You know, that means you just accidentally knock one in. You do not accidentally go into heaven by slop shots. He says in Hebrews 4.11, Therefore, since there remains a rest, 
let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest we fall like they did in the wilderness. Here's a good... Uh, let me go to the next one. What does it require? Here's a good Greek word for you. This is actually a fun one to say. Spudazo. I like that one, don't you? Spudazo. That sounds like something we should say. Uh, hey, you look good. You got a little spudazo going today. Eh? It means to move speedily by showing full diligence, which is actually what I'm doing right now. To move speedily by showing full diligence. But notice this. The emphasis is not on the speedily. The emphasis is on the full diligence, which means fully applying oneself. Acting fervently, Thayer says in his Greek lexicon. The Amplified is not a version I often go to, but they nailed it on this one. Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter the rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves, the Greek bears out, that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. It incorporates a, a lot. Zealousness, ex exertion, and striving to enter the rest of God. It is for people who are intentional. Heaven is a rest for those who are striving to go there. And so it means to fervently obey. Now, last week I emphasized, and the week before really, don't put all your chips on yourself and your self-righteousness. This is not going to be how you please God. Moses told Israel, don't think it's by your own righteousness that you're entering the land. Don't think it's by your own might that you're going to get. Don't say, we've done this by our own might and our own goodness. God loves us so much because we're so good. Don't do that, he said. And so I've been preaching along those lines, but I, I gave a little appendix. Yeah, appendix? Annex? Appendix. Yeah, all right. I thought I had to write the wrong word because I'm thinking, no, that's an organ. All right. I gave a little appendix. At the end of one of the sermons, it says, now, but what of obedience? What of your works? Is it of no avail? Absolutely not. That is not true. So today we're going to refocus on that now to talk about what does it mean to be diligent to enter into that rest. First of all, diligence, that is through obedience, welcomes God's presence. Jesus said, observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. Now that's just the tail end of the Great Commission. But look how these two things go together. Observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Obedience says to God, I want you present with me. You're making a statement in your obedience to God. If you desire to go be with Him, then you'll be obedient to Him. And by being obedient, you show yourself approved of God's blessing. And His presence is something that was very important to Moses. Moses said, unless your presence goes with us, I do not want to go up from here into that land. David said, when he sinned, let's say what he didn't say first. He didn't say, don't take away my kingdom. Please don't, don't let my shame be an embarrassment upon me and my family. Please don't let this hurt me. You know what he said? 
Cast me not away from Your presence, O Lord. Take not Your Spirit from me. That was His main concern. If Your Spirit does not go with me from here forward, I do not know what I will do. His Spirit is presence. Jesus said then, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. You'll abide. Think about that. If you keep my commandments, it will keep you dwelling in my love, my presence. Obedience leads to relationship, therefore. And this is eternal life, John 17, 3, at the beginning of what technically is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed this. He said, and this is eternal life that they, that's us, the apostles and all those who will receive their message and all the world, that they may know you, that is by experience, experiential knowledge, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life that they may know you and obedience brings us into that relationship. If you obey all that I command you, you are my friends indeed. John 15, 14. Finally, obedience leads to a blessed life. A blessed life. Uh, in that, each one of these could be described, each one of the commandments can be described as a, as a paver for your path that is carefully laid and firmly placed intact, one upon another, upon another, next to another, and, and creating a path. I've described it as guardrails. Whatever, it works, but they keep you focused on going forward. These commandments do. And every time a commandment is rejected, we lose a blessing. Think about this. <clears throat> Maybe this is your takeaway for today. If nothing else, remember this. Every commandment, whether it's a thou shalt or a thou shalt not, every commandment carries with it a blessing. Each commandment carries with it its own blessing. Every time we reject a commandment, we reject a blessing. Now, we may not feel it right away, and that is why we can get carried away in sin. Well, I went off and I did this and... I guess nothing happened. No one was harmed, we say to ourselves. And yet, what we may not know is what we did not receive by obedience. You may not have gotten immediately hurt, but be sure of this. A life of sin will come full circle. Your sin will find you out. God knows and will hold you accountable for those sins. And if we have the attitude that, well, I guess if it's not hurting anyone, it's okay. Two things. We're wrong because it'll hurt us as we have to give accountability to God with such a bad attitude. Number two, we just won't know what God was going to do with us if we would have obeyed Him. Does that make sense? You don't know what you're missing, in other words, if you don't listen. So we think, well, it didn't hurt, but... God may say, yeah, but I didn't get to do with you what I wanted to do with you because you would not follow me in this one thing. And so we miss blessing. By repentance, we can restore our relationship with God, but we may not always get our blessing back. Think about some of the sins that are lifelong injurious to ourselves or to others. You can repent. You can be restored to God. 
But you cannot retrieve blessings lost sometimes, can you? You see what I'm saying? I think we all understand that one. We've probably all experienced, if not seen it. And so be careful when you disobey because obedience leads to blessing. That's the positive uh, part of that. Here's when it curses, quickly, because we've touched on some of these things. It's entirely possible to be an obedient person and be a sinner. First of all, we can obey the wrong things. We can, we can obey our own philosophies, ideals, our own lusts, our own worldly pleasures. As Paul said, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. You can obey what your body says, I feel like doing right now, and be obedient to the flesh in a very literal way. You can obey for the wrong reasons. That is to, I want to obey God so that I can get into heaven. That doesn't sound like there's anything wrong with that statement. Unless you are obeying God so that you can show Him that you're worthy of going to heaven. We've dealt with that pretty good in the last couple weeks, I think. A works-based salvation, as you, if you will call it that. Obedience also can be with the wrong motive. You might, have, you might have a heart that really loves God and still be misguided in some ways in that you need to be obedient for reasons that might serve yourself, that might impress someone else, that might cast a certain image of you that you would like, and so you're more obedient in things that are public, perhaps, than things that are private, more attentive to those things, and so you can have the wrong motives. Even though you say, well, I really do love God, I really do have faith, we have to be careful of these things. In that case, your obedience can become a curse because you think you're doing okay. You think you're doing okay, and this was the problem of the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought, we see, and Jesus said, you're blinder than bats. You cannot see spiritually what you're doing. And he tried to help him, and he saved a few. Now here's the peace of obedience. And we're beginning to wrap this up. The peace of obedience. You could summarize it in Deuteronomy 5.29, where God said, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would obey me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Boy, I mean, that says a lot. There is commandment given by God to bless. This does not set us up to fail unless we see it as I presented on the previous slide. In the wrong, the wrong things, the wrong reasons, the wrong motives. God has not set us up to fail because we're ne He never intended to save us by law-keeping. He never intended to do that, to keep a record, to keep a percentage, to see how good you are based upon how good you do according to all the... He never intended to do that. So, He has not set us up to fail, as I've so often heard. Why has God made it so hard? In fact, these commandments are a blessing to teach us and convict us and keep us and point us. And so, John says, with Moses, who when Moses said... These commandments that I set before you today are not mysterious. They're not in the deep. They're not up above. Don't look for someone to come and interpret or bring a more clarified understanding. They're not difficult for you to understand them. 
but keep them and do them. Now, John in the New Testament says in 1 John 5, 3, by this we love God, that we keep His commandments. And he adds in that verse, and His commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Now, if they feel burdensome to you, I challenge you today to ask yourself, how do I look at commandments? Is this my system of salvation? If it's a tremendous burden to you, a discouragement to you, I would say to you that you're not looking at the commandments of God in the right way for your good, for your protection, for your keeping, for your blessing, to lead you, to guide you, to point you to God. I've said this before too, I want to remind you. The Bible even is not God. The Bible is His living Word to show me who He is. And so if I worship my Bible by saying, I can quote scriptures, I know more than you, God's got to be pleased because I know I can quote the Sermon on the Mount. Really, we're worshiping ourselves. Even the Bible is not the object of our worship, but God Himself. And He's given us this word to guide us to Him. Now, I want to ask you, are you above Jesus? Because Jesus learned obedience in His 33 years here. He learned it. Well, He was a Son of God. That's why He didn't sin. Really? He learned obedience through the things He suffered as well. And He became obedient, Paul said to the Philippians, to the point of death, even the death of the cross! Exclamation point. He even went to a cross in His obedience. Not just a beheading, quick, easy. Not just a hanging, well, it'll be over with in a minute. He went to the cross in His obedience. He learned that the fruit of obedience far outweighs, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 4, far, 2 Corinthians 4, far outweighs the temporal sufferings of this life. And so, I challenge you to obey this gospel truth, the one great truth that God has loved you and has offered His only Son for you, and that there's nothing greater that you can do than to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But we obey the Gospel. Dying to sin, confessing Christ as our Lord, being baptized in water, in that watery grave, to wash away our sins. And Peter says a couple things about that here that I'm going to let you read while we sing. If you have need to respond to the Gospel, come and have your sins washed away. People who have to go to the bathroom can go home and go to the bathroom. Don't let that stop you from coming forward and obeying the Gospel today. We have water here. Let's stand and sing this song.